Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, October 8, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, October 7th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10510. That's 10,510. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 10510. 10,512. This morning, A Vision for You presents Making Difficult Amends. Steps one through three put us in the proper relationship with our higher power, a relationship where now our higher power, not us, is to be the director. Steps four through seven put us in the right relationship with ourselves, removing those defects which block the access to our higher power. Now, are we willing to go to any lengths for our freedom from compulsive overeating? Are we willing to become a person we've never experienced? To live a life that's never been available to us? To be comfortable within our own skin? To have our life really flourish and be filled with meaning? Now we're ready for steps eight and nine, both of which give us an opportunity to live in harmony with our fellow human beings. Step nine is a painful, humbling step. We go to those we've harmed, acknowledge the harm specifically, take responsibility for our part, and clean it up, repairing the damage. Of step nine, the AA Big Book says, We attempt to sweep away the debris which has accumulated out of our effort to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. Our new beginning is based on a new set of principles, on God's will for us rather than on our own. Joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope is Kathleen O., a recovered compulsive overeater from California, and it's with great pleasure and appreciation that I welcome Kathleen O to the line this morning. Good morning to you, Kathleen. Good morning. Thank you, Leah, so much, Um, and good morning, everyone. My name is Kathleen O, recovered in Northern California, and I'm going to focus today on making difficult amends, but I'd first like to move fairly quickly through steps one through eight just to qualify myself as a compulsive overeater and give you a sense of my experience of the steps. So in step one, I had to admit I was powerless and my life had become unmanageable. And in reading the doctor's opinion, I was finally able to understand what my problem was. And it wasn't the food. I had always thought it was the food. So read the doctor's opinion because it's not about the food. I have an allergy of the body, which triggers the phenomenon of craving. And I have an obsession of the mind that makes it impossible for me to stop once I start. So this step was actually pretty easy for me because I had hundreds of examples how I couldn't control what I ate. Once I started eating anything out of a bag, a box, a carton, or a wrapper, I couldn't stop. I'd eat for days, months, sometimes years before I could muster up the willpower to once again go on some kind of crazy diet. And I went on all sorts of crazy, crazy diets. And when I would white-knuckle a diet and stop eating and lose weight, well, guess what? I couldn't stay stopped, and I always gained the weight back and usually more. 
So I knew from firsthand experience that diets, for me, never, ever, ever worked. I'd always gain the weight back and more. So diet, gain the weight back, diet, gain the weight back. You know, I remember in high school, my high school freshman English teacher, the first day of class, she had us take a blank piece of paper and write, happiness is, and then we just went down and filled in the lines of what made us happy. And I wrote, happiness is going off a diet. And this teacher was overweight. And when I got the paper back, she had a big yes next to it with an exclamation mark. So I felt, oh, great, you know, here I'm bonding with an English teacher over an eating disorder. Um, So, you know, combinations of flour, sugar, and fat triggered my allergy. I also um, was a quantity eater. And, And I ate these combinations. I ate you know, these binge foods, because as explained um, in the doctor's opinion on page XXVII and XXIX, um, and I'm going to quote this, I, well, pretty much, I like the effect produced by these foods. The food brought me comfort and that awe feeling where I could check out of life. <clears throat> I would binge, emerge remorseful, and swear I wasn't going to overeat again. I'd swear off my binge foods. And I had this delusion that this time it would be different, but it was never different. And on Bill's story, page six, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. And I can remember morning after morning waking up, and I just wake up with this dread, this feeling of dread, and it was absolutely the worst, the worst way to wake up. And it, and it was horrible, and it was unforgettable. Um, so, you know, I, I just couldn't get out of the food. And when I eventually would sometimes for a day, sometimes long enough to lose 50 pounds, I couldn't stay away from it. I always went back to it. And I remember I, you know, I had an abnormal relationship with food from a very young age. I was always obsessing over anything with flour, sugar, and fat. And, you know, I would go to birthday parties and I remember going to birthday parties as a young child and, I always wanted the corner piece of birthday cakes. I always wanted the most frosting and I wanted the piece that had the big rose on it. And I can actually remember sitting at tables at childhood birthday parties. I don't remember who, the, who was at the party, but I can remember the, the darn cakes. Um, I mean, it's just crazy how my mind was just always obsessing around food. And even when I was young and when I was young, I would steal, steal money from my parents to buy ice cream from the ice cream truck that would come through the neighborhood. I'd walk to school so I could take my bus money and buy candy. And I'd always keep candy in, in my desk in grammar school. And I'd open the top of the desk and, you know, pretend that I was getting a piece of paper or a pencil and I would take a bite of, of my candy. I mean, I couldn't even make it to lunch without sugar. And I went to parochial school and most of the school experience and the nuns, actually, they really scared me. I was very frightened all the time, and I was just scared to go to school. But to this day, I can not only remember, but I can actually feel how holding my Cinderella lunchbox would calm me down. And knowing I had, you know, hostess whatever in there and my white Kilpatrick's bread, um, it just kind of calmed me down just anticipating that I was going to be able to eat that and then eating it. And of course I could never understand, you know, I'd watch other children eating their lunches and they wouldn't finish them. You know, when I, as an adult growing up, I, um, I couldn't understand why my friends didn't finish their dessert. It's like, how do people do that? And my friends would say, Oh, well, you know, I'm full. 
And I would think to myself, what does full have to do with it? So, you know, was my life unmanageable? Heck yes, it was unmanageable. I wanted to control everything and everyone. And of course, we all know where that got me. I can tell you that the people or situations I tried to control never followed my directions. So I would eat. So it was a gift of this program to finally get that I can't control people, places, or situations, and that food wasn't my problem. So step two, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I must admit, I struggled with the word sanity. Sanity to me was the opposite of insanity. And the definition of insanity to me was crazy and mentally deranged. And I didn't think I was literally crazy. But I, I Googled sanity and AA, and it's defined as soundness of mind. Sanity is reasonable and rational behavior. And I certainly didn't have reasonable and rational behavior around food. So I came to believe that something bigger than me could help me be rational and reasonable because I was out of ideas and I had literally tried everything else. So I knew I had to change my, my thinking and my actions. But how was I going to do that? Um, so I continued with the steps. And I love, um, I think this came from Jesse Porter, that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So I needed to keep moving with these steps and change something. So step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And first, um, as it says in page 60, I had to be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And I needed to turn my will and my life over to the higher power. And I want to quote page 62 because this is so me. Um, It just totally rang true when I was being honest with myself. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So I had met the enemy and the enemy was me. And that paragraph let me know my troubles are of my own making. You know, I'm the architect of my own problems. So again, I had to turn my will over. And about the word God in this step, you know, I came into OA in my early 20s. I went to a meeting with a friend and I heard the word God in a meeting and I literally ran out the room at the break and I didn't come back after until, you know, I didn't come back for 30 years. So thank God for Ebby. And even when I did go back to a meeting, I didn't realize it was a 12-step recovery meeting. Um, someone said they lost weight and there was this meeting and I went. Um, so thank God for Ebby who told Bill to choose his own conception of God because I did have the gift of desperation, but I didn't like the word God, thanks in part to the nuns who frightened me. Um, this isn't a religious program. It's a spiritual one. So if you struggle with the word God, know that you can recover as long as you don't close your mind to all spiritual concepts. And, um, and the bottom of page 568, there's a page Um, with a quote from Herbert Spencer regarding a principle, which is contempt prior to investigation. So don't stay ignorant like I did for 30 years because you cringe at the word God. And, you know, being able to define my own concept of God really worked for me. I threw out the concept that the nuns taught me and I brought in a new concept. And I want to add that, you know, many children went to the same parochial school I did and they embraced God and what they were taught. So there really was nothing wrong with the nuns or the school. I just personally, for whatever reasons, focused on all the bad things I was told um, if I didn't, quote, obey, and I'd be punished by God. And so I only heard the punishing God. 
there was plenty of good things that they taught that God would do for me, but I only focused on the negative. I don't know why I did that, but um, because of that, I never bought into it. And, um, you know, it just never worked for me. So thank God for Abby. So steps one through three were finding and developing a relationship with a higher power. And, and then I had to rely on that God and I had to give credit to that God. And, um, you know, there was, um, someone told me it's a joke that, um, they heard on the, uh, Charlie, um, um, Joe and Charlie tapes that this guy was in this really crowded parking lot and he needed to find a parking space and all the spaces were filled. And, and he said, he said, you know, God, if you'll find me a parking spot, I promise I will pray every morning. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll stop swearing. And he, and he rounds the corner and there's a parking spot. And he says, oh, never mind, God, I found one. So, and I love that joke because it's so, it's like, you know, I need to give credit to my higher power where credit is due. And when I get to step nine, um, I'll give you some examples of how definitely God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. Um, so step four made a search and imperialist moral inventory of ourselves. Step four was truly cathartic for me. Um, it felt good to get all my resentments and fear out on paper. When I wrote down my part, I was told um, when I got to my part to write what I wanted to say to the people on my resentment list, but I didn't say to them. And it didn't mean I was going to say these things to them, but I needed to get them on paper. And that process was actually very healing for me. Um, and, and I had pages of resentments um, um, and pages of fears. Uh, so step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. And giving my resentments, fears, and wrongs done to others really released a lot of weight in my head. Um, I always say I had 70 pounds to lose physically, but I had about 400 pounds to lose between my ears. And step four and five gave me the freedom, gave me, really gave me freedom for much of that 400-pound weight between my ears. Um, and on page 75, once we have taken the step, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We begin to have a spiritual experience. And for me, after completing steps four and five, it was like I could breathe again. Um, and, I, and I actually, be, you know, I began to feel more comfortable just being me. So step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And I had a lot of defects of character. When I got honest with myself and started writing them down, I had a lot of defects of character. And I still do. You know, I'm human. They don't, they don't ever really go away. But um, I'm certainly more aware of them. And so step six in the big book is really just one little paragraph, but it tends to be forgotten. I've heard step six and seven have been called the forgotten steps. Um, but they're really so important because if I held on to everything I admitted in step four was object objectionable, I could negate all the work I'd done and I'd never get recovery and I'd still be miserable. So, um, you know, I know I can't be useful if I'm cloaked in fear, dishonesty, self-pity, selfishness, self-seeking motives. And, and I can still be selfish and self-seeking. You know, I'll go, I'll, at the end of the day, I'll ask myself, um, you know, where was I selfish and self-seeking? And sometimes it's just, it's in the car, you know, I'm in the car and the person in front of me is going too slow. And I'm, I'm, you know, saying, you know, who taught you how to drive? Why are you driving so slow? I need to get where I'm going. Or the person behind me is tailgating me and I'm, I'm, I'm telling them, you know, they're a crummy driver. I mean, they don't hear me, but I mean, that's being selfish. So when I pay attention to that and realize, you know, patient, remember that patient intolerance is our code, um, I can actually 
be calm in the car and be patient and just, you know, when people are slow and I'm behind them, it means I need to slow down. If people are on my tail, I'll actually pull over sometimes and let them pass. It's like not worth getting upset over. Um, so in steps four, five, six, and seven, I was identifying my defects of character, and these were blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit, and I needed to get comfortable in my own skin. So these steps really weren't to be skipped or taken lightly. And step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends for them all. And step eight truly is the ticket to freedom. Um, you know, it's when I identified the wrongs of my past so that I could repair the damage I'd done. And it was really about creating healthy relationships and moving forward. And I went through my four-step resentments, fears, sexual conduct, and I wrote on index cards the people I had harmed. And this is where things got really interesting. Um, I, would, I, I wrote down each person or institution I had harmed individually, one per index card. So like I would put Jane, and, and then I would say how I harmed her. And then on the back, I would say what I was going to say when I made amends. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to deflect the blame or make excuses for my actions, which is what I had always done. Um, and then I discussed these with my sponsor. And, and at the time, I was working with a small group of people, um, who, and we were all doing the steps together. And, um, and so we all went through these, our index cards together. And, and after I had all these index cards, I was asked to put a plus on the card if I was willing to make the amends and a minus on the card if I wasn't willing to make the amends. So I'm going to share with you four very personal um, amends that I made that were very difficult to make. Um, you know, they, I honestly didn't think I'd ever be able to make them and I didn't want to make them. And I was... So I took these four with a minus and I was asked, you know, can you be willing to be willing? And I said, yes, you know, I said I go to any lengths, I'll be willing to be willing. And on page 76, it says, if we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. So I did, I did ask my higher powers, like, you know, I know I need to make these amends, just show me, direct me. And, you know, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't in a hurry. <laughs> I know some people say you need to make these really fast, but um, I just, on these four, I thought, I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'll be willing to be willing. So, you know, and in all my amends, I had to, um, I had to humble myself. I had to be honest and I had to be, be courage, um, you know, have some courage. And um, so anyway, I'm going to give you four examples. And the first one was, and, and truly it's like, um, you know, this is, about making difficult amends, but what goes along with that is God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Because these, these four examples are just, I mean, they just kind of blow me away sometimes. So <laughs> there's, there's no way it wasn't God, God, you know, helping me out here big time. So the first one I made was to, um, and it was just by happenstance that it happened to be the first of these four, um, was to my ex-husband's, um, wife at the time. And I um, went her, my stepdaughter and her daughter, and this was um, several years after I was no longer married to this, this man either. Um, and, and 
my stepdaughter, my former stepdaughter had asked me um, to come to this party. And there were about, I would say, 40 people at the party, including her mom. And, you know, we were friendly to each other. We didn't have deep conversations or anything, but, you know, we would be cordial. And so, you know, I said hi to her at the party, and then I was talking to other people. And, and towards the end of the party, we were all in, in, the, in the house, and, um, and I was sitting in this group near her of about 10 people. And all of a sudden, there's these sirens outside, and someone looked outside, and they said, oh, my gosh, there's a fire on the hill over there. The entire house cleared out to go look at this fire. And this woman and I were left in this room by ourselves. And I thought, okay, well, this is interesting. And I just took the opportunity. You know, it's like I just got this huge nudge from my higher power. It's like, here's your timing. Here's your, here's your, here's your opportunity. opportunity. So anyway, I made amends to her. I, I had known all along what I wanted to say to her. And, and really, I didn't even think I was going to do it when I saw her at this party. I thought, this isn't going to work here. And um, so I made amends to her. She was very gracious, um, very kind. And that blew me away, too. And I tell you, when I left that party, I really did feel like 100 pounds of weight had been taken off my shoulders. Um, and then there was um, another amends that I needed to make. And this was, um, I had worked for a boss and I had worked for a boss. I worked, <laughs> I worked and my boss used to have us order these. Um, I, I did the front desk work and I wrote his checks and everything. And, um, and he, and he used to order these commemorative coin, coins. And um, so the other gal in the office and I would, put an order in two and he would pay for it and we would pay him back. Well, as time went by, um, I wasn't paying him for these. I was ordering them, but I wasn't paying him for them. And, and I had them in this big bag um, in this drawer. And every time I looked at them, I felt guilty. And so when I was making amends, this was on one of my index cards. And I thought, you know, I don't even know where this guy is anymore. I don't know how I'm going to make these amends. And when I was in this group, this little group that I was working with, I said, I don't even know which ones I paid for and which ones I didn't. And so someone suggested that I take the years that I worked for him, find the coins during those years, and just give them all to him. And I thought, you know, I can do that because I'm tired of looking in this drawer and having this guilt. And um, But I, I truly, I didn't know where this guy was. I hadn't worked for him for over a decade. And... I got this call one day from this, the coworker, and she said, you're not going to believe this, but our former boss is coming through the area, and he wants to get together with us for lunch. Now, I mean, <laughs> I have to laugh sometimes at what God does for me. So anyway, we had this lunch, and towards the end of it, I you know, asked him if I could talk to him outside. And, you know, I told him that I was in a 12-step program. And I don't always tell people I'm in a 12-step program and making amends because sometimes I think they think you're just checking off their list. But I needed him to understand what I was doing. And, um, and I said, you know, when I worked for you, you know, I, I sometimes didn't pay you back for these coins. And so I want to give you all these coins. And he said, well, you did pay for some of them. Why don't you take some of them? And I said, no, just take them all. I'll feel better if you take them all. And he just looked, he looked totally baffled. And, and he said to me, he goes, 
you know, thank you for doing this. He goes, you know, I probably need to do some of this stuff in my life too. (laughs) And, you know, so it's like, here's these amends where I'm thinking there was no way I could make them. And, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's just be willing to be willing because you'll be amazed. I mean, talk about being amazed before we're halfway through. I couldn't believe that, um, you know, that things fell into place that the way they did. And that really, truly, I, I give credit to my higher power that my higher power set this up for me to do this um, because it really didn't take a lot of effort on my part except to make the amends to be in the place to have it happen. And um, so let's see. So the third, the third, oh, so another, one of the other amends I didn't think I was ever going to be able to make was when I was, at, when I was in high school, I worked in what they call the student store. And it, basically it was 90%, it was this little, little tiny room. And um, it basically had um, 90%, you know, any, any flour, sugar item, candy, hostess, um, ice cream, all sorts of stuff. And my friend and I, who was also, um, I'm guessing, a compulsive overeater, I mean, we would, we would be like a couple drunks at the end of the day. We would go in this little room when, when it was closed and just binge on all this food. And we would stuff our purses, you know, um, on Friday afternoon. And so we'd have enough to take home on the weekend. And, and I thought, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do this one. And so someone suggested that I call the counseling office. And um, again, someone in this group that I was working with, you know, to call the counseling office and see if anyone there was familiar with 12 steps. So I did that. And, and I got the name of this, of this gal. And um, I didn't make an appointment with her because I didn't know when I, I had moved away from where I went to high school. I was about 200 miles away. But I was going there one day um, because I still used to go to the same accountant when I in the in that area. And, and so the day I went to the accountant was the day I decided I was going to go to this high school, but I didn't make an appointment. I just decided I was going to go and find this woman. And, and my plan was to go to my credit union and get a cashier's check. And um, so I went to the accountant and it turned out to be a day where it was just pouring rain. I mean, it was pouring rain. And I thought, I'm not going to go do this. It is, this weather is too bad. I'll wait till the next time I come down here. And so I went to the accountant, and as I'm coming back through the city where my high school was, um, I'm thinking, you know, I don't even know where this credit union is anymore because I know they moved it. And I didn't know where it was, and I hadn't looked up the address. So I'm driving down this, this busy road, and, and it's a road I, I, you know, I drove on years when I lived there. It's called El Camino. And... It's always crowded, and if you're if you're trying to make a left hand turn somewhere, it like unless you're at a light, it's almost impossible because there's so many cars coming all the time. So I'm driving down El Camino, and I look to the left, and I see this credit my credit union, and I look ahead of me, and there was no traffic. I I couldn't make that left hand turn. It was clear as a bell, and I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> This is, I mean, sometimes I, I just had to laugh because it's like, oh my God, I am just like being held by the hand and this is being made so easy for me. So I went into the credit union. I got the cashier's check. I drove to the high school. High school was just getting out. I found a parking spot really easily. I went to the counseling office. I said, you know, is this woman, and I had her name, is she available? 
And, and she said, you know, we just got out of a meeting. I think she is. Let me go get her. And so she went and got her. I went into her office. I told her I was in 12-step recovery and that, you know, I was making amends for this food I had stolen. She didn't even, this, this uh, um, student store that I've been talking about, this girl was about 20 years old. <laughs> and she had no idea what I was talking about. And um, I said, you know, I stole, you know, I, I ate a bunch of candy and never paid for it. And so I want to give you this check. And she said, you stole money? And I said, no, I didn't steal money. I stole food. <laughs> So anyway, she was very kind. She said she'd give it to someone who would, you know, know where to put the money for the school. And, um, and I drove off. And again, I, I got to tell you guys, making these amends, it is like so amazing how freeing it is. And okay, so for my last difficult to make amends, um, it was my current husband's ex-wife. And I had caused her a lot of pain. And um, I thought, you know, there's no way I'm going to talk to this woman. There's just no way. I think she's crazy. And um, turns out I'm the crazy one, not her. Um, but I thought, <laughs> there's just no way I can do this. And so, but I was willing to be willing. So her daughter got married and it was, um, it was in the winter and it was in this lodge and they, everybody went outside to take pictures. And so everybody was outside, but after, after I was done with the picture I was in, I thought, I am freezing. I'm going back in this lodge because there's this big fireplace. So I'm standing by the fire trying to get warm. Well, who comes in but my husband's ex-wife? And she said, oh, we both have the same idea. So we're there in front of this fire, just the two of us. There's God giving me another nudge, holding my hand, saying, here's your opportunity, Kathleen. <laughs> so I said to her, I said, you know, there's something that I've been wanting to say to you for a long time. And I said, you know, I am, and this just kind of makes me um, emotional, you know. I said, I go, I am so sorry for the pain that I caused you. And, um, and you know, and I, I, I can't remember what else I said to her, but um, I said, you know, if I, if I knew then what I know now, I never would have done what I did. And I'm truly, truly sorry. And, um, and she said, you know, Kathleen, I'm so happy you said that. And then she immediately moved in to say how grateful she was to me for, for taking care of her girls when I had them. And I mean, <laughs> you guys, it's just making difficult amends, write them down, you know, be willing to be willing. Your higher power, you know, God will hold your hand and guide you and make this happen. Um, you know, this, this, this probably happened over the course of three years, these four amends. Um, but every time I was able to, to make one, um, I just, I just felt freer and freer and, you know, life just continues to get better. Um, so, you know, the only way I was going to avoid making the same mistakes over again was to be sincere, address the harm, and show the person I understood that what I did was wrong. And for me, for some of my, most of my amends, really a simple apology of I'm sorry wasn't enough. Um, so there was God doing for me what I couldn't do for God, for myself. And they really were truly miracles. Um, and another, and this wasn't an amends, but this is another thing that um, 
it's really been a miracle in, in my life of this program. Um, when I was younger, at the age of two, my mom sent me and my brother to, she, she chose to work, which wasn't common in um, those days. And so she had us go to this babysitter who um, was someone who went to the same church and she had three children. Um, and I was very scared of this woman. She was really strict and, um, and I was just always really scared of her and I didn't have good memories of, of being there with her. And, and I always kind of thought, um, I don't know, I think, I think I thought that a lot of my issues in life, you know, were related to the fear I had of going there. Um, anyway, I just, I, I, you know, she would come up a lot in my resentments and, um, and, and I, I felt like I, you know, I didn't need to make an amends to her. I felt harm had been done, had been done to me. And, and yet it would keep coming up. And so I'd have to keep, you know, um, working through it. And just recently, maybe a few months ago, um, I had this dream about her younger daughter and, her younger daughter was an adult in the dream. And I thought, why would I dream about her? That's really bizarre. I hadn't thought about this person who babysat me for months. Um, I don't know, long time. And why would I dream about her daughter? And so then, and I kept thinking about it. It, it just like kept nagging me in my head. And, um, and I, I thought, you know, I'm going to see if I can find this person on Facebook. And so I looked for her sister who was, more who's closer to my age and I knew better, but I couldn't find her sister. I found the father um, in the obituaries. He had passed away. And so I got some names and I started, you know, you can like find all sorts of stuff out on, on the internet now. So anyway, I found the younger sister and I, I sent her a message on Facebook and she, she Facebooked me back. And long story short, um, I got in touch with the older sister and my brother and I went to this, their mom's house and the two sisters were there and we all sat for a few hours talking and and it was so amazing because um you know what i thought when i was a child wasn't what it was in reality and um this woman who babysat me she's very sweet and and i found out that she was only 18 when she was when she started babysitting us i mean that's really young so some of the things she did that that I felt were harmful to me and my brother, you know, she was just a kid. Um, and they really, it wasn't like she physically abused us or anything. Um, but anyway, it was like so easy to just forgive her for what I had thought in my head was so horrible and um, and move on. And And again, that was God doing for me because that was just bizarre out of nowhere that that came up. And I feel like I can finally let that totally go. Um, so, you know, step 10, I was ready for a new way of living. I continue to keep myself in check on a daily basis um, by taking that pause that they talk about, which for me is to just take a deep breath when I'm agitated or doubtful. Um, I need to be honest and admit when I'm wrong. And I need to forgive others when they are wrong. And I need to know that this isn't about, you know, perfection. Um, step 11 was coming to a spiritual practice through prayer and meditation. And that's a really important step for me. 
Um, step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our, our affairs. And step 12 truly brings me joy. You know, I get to continue into a life of acceptance and understanding and help empower others. And there's no cure to this addiction, but there's definitely a solution. And passing on the solution truly is pure joy. And I think with that, I will pass Leah. Thank you. And thank you so much, Kathleen O., for sharing your process of these 12 steps, particularly highlighting the remarkable amends process that you experienced. Thank you very much. The share ID for today's Sunday special edition, 10515. That's 10,515. And we'll now, well, let me say that Kathleen's uh, contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. We will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can ask a question. Hi. Hi, Matt. Hold on one second. You can ask a question. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute and identify yourself, including the first letter of your last name. Okay, who did I hear? Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. Matt M. Matt M. Linda. Matt, I have you. Sharon C. Sharon C. Linda B. Linda B. And there was a Knessa as well, correct? Correct, Leah. Excellent. Okay, that's a nice group. We're going to go with Katie G, Knessa B, Matt M, Linda M, I believe, and Sharon C, for starters. Okay, Katie, go right ahead. Thanks, Leah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Kathleen. Thanks for your beautiful service and I've had very similar experiences. Um, My question for you is I've also had um, a lot of experiences that weren't so beautifully arranged in my opinion. And I just was wondering, um, but they've had similar impacts. And I'm just wondering what your experience has been and maybe haven't had it, and I don't mean to be contrary, but I'm wondering if you've had experiences that haven't necessarily been um, as you know, beautifully <laughs> portrayed is all not portrayed, but beautifully getting the outcome that you want, and kind of what your reconciliation process is with God and and other people when that happens. Thanks so much. Thanks, Katie. Thanks for the question. Um, so you know, there's most of my um, there was my ex-husband. Um, when I when I went to make amends to him, he just cut me off. <laughs> he said, you know, don't worry about it. I'm okay with everything. Um, and so I just kind of let that be. It wasn't, it didn't feel like what I wanted it to feel like, um, but he just didn't want to hear it. And, um, and, you know, and I run into him all the time and, and um, you know, we have a good relationship. Um, there was a, a friend that I had, um, and I called her, and she didn't return my calls. Um, I think I called her about three times, and she just didn't re- well, she didn't return my calls. And so I had to write her a letter. And in the letter, I did write that I was, you know, in a 12-step program and making amends. And that's where 
Um, I realized later I shouldn't have said that because she never, ever responded to me. I never heard back from her. Um, and I think knowing her that she probably thought, oh, she's just checking, checking off, checking me off the list, you know, and, and I'm, and I, I feel like she probably didn't think that that was sincere the way I had said the letter. I did keep it brief and short, but, um, and I did apologize for, you know, for the harms I had done her. Um, but I never heard back from her. And so I just had to let that go. Um, and to this day, I wish I would hear back from her, but you know, um, so no, they don't always go perfectly. Um, it was amazing that the, my most difficult ones did go perfectly. Um, and you know, if they don't, they don't. Um, the, the main thing is that we get the opportunity to do them. So thanks. Thanks, Katie G. Knessa K. Your turn. Good morning. It's actually Knessa K. Leah. Yes, no Knessa K. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, so, Kathleen, thank you. I've talked to you before. Um, and, uh, you know, God always meets us right where we are because I think I even talked to you once, like, today is my most difficult amends at 5 o'clock. <laughs> and um, one of the things you said was, you know, whatever you're scared of, like, write it down. Did you mean have a letter ready for some of these more difficult amends or were you just talking about the name or the points that you wanted to highlight? Because I'm struggling today figuring out how to start it, like how to how to own my side of the road on this one. And I've put this one off for a while. Um, so, you know, your your timing is impeccable, and I'd, I'd love to hear. Um, I mean, I heard your story about how God put everything together for you, and, you know, you could make the left turn and, uh, but this one is a little bit more planned, and I'd be open to a suggestion from you about how you would, you know, like, would you write it down? Would you write it later, et cetera? I'll stop there. Thank you. Thanks, Knessa, um, for the question. You know, I, on all my amends, um, I did, like on these index cards, I wrote down what I wanted to say to them, and and just... I mean, basically, it was just keeping, um, you know, keeping to the point of the of the harm that I had done. Um, and so, yes, I would I would write out before I would talk to this person exactly what I wanted to say to them. And I didn't like read the card or anything, but you'll find that if you just go into the amends with God and, you know, just take a deep breath and say, you know, please, you know help this person, um, help me to communicate to this person that I truly am sorry for what I did to them. And you just, uh, you know, say, you know, I, I, I mean, just say everything that you need to say to them to make the amends. Um, and, and I don't know if I'm answering your question. I hope I am. But just trust. If, if we trust and rely on our higher power, things will usually go pretty smoothly. They don't always. Um, but all we can do is do our best and do it with, you know, go in with love and kindness and, um, and, and really just take out everything that they may have done. Um, I had to like not even think of that. I had to just focus on my part in it. And, um, and that made it a lot easier and it made it go smoother, I think. Um, it's, it's really important not to make excuses, um, you know, 
gosh, that's all I ever did um, was make excuses for my actions. And um, so it's just really important not to do that. But yeah, write it, write it out first so you have an idea what you're, what you're doing. Go in with love and kindness for the person and, and bring your higher power with you. Perfect. That's what I question. needed. Yep, it does. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Knessa K. Matt M., your turn. Thank you, Leah. Uh, guess, Kathleen, um, what would you do uh, as an amends for someone who's passed on, or have you ever made one for people who are deceased? Yes. Um, I I had to make amends to my mom, who had passed on, and um, and my mom was this really kind, sweet person, um, and I gave her a hard time, you know, growing up. Um, I was a really, just just not a nice teenager to her, and um, and I actually I actually did um, apologize to her. I remember one time she had Alzheimer's. Um, in the end, and and I said, you know, I said, I go, Mom, I'm sorry, I was such a terrible teenager, and she goes, Oh, you weren't, honey. Well, she wasn't remembering, but um, what I did after she passed away is um, I I wrote a letter. I mean, I wrote a letter to her of everything I wanted to tell her, of everything I would do if I could do it all over again. Um, I mean, I just. It's it's really hard for me sometimes not to not to you know go back and think oh I want to redo I want to redo you know I want to do this over um, and I want to I think of certain times you know in my life of my when my mom was younger and um, where I, if I could just go and be loving and kind to her and not be a bratty teenager um, but you know I couldn't do that so I wrote that all out in the letter of what I wanted to do and what I was sorry for and um, you know her gravesite is close to where I live so. If that's possible, I think it's actually good and, and um, you know, very healing to be able to go to a gravesite of people who's passed, someone who's passed away and, and read them the letter. So I hope that helps. Thank you. It does. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Linda M., your turn. Star one to unmute, Linda. Hello? Yes. Oh, okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Your you turn. I hear okay. you well. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's actually Linda B. Thanks for the correction. Uh-huh. And um, and uh, I appreciate your service. And Kathleen, I, I loved your, your talk. Uh, I have a couple of questions. I'm sort of new in OA. And um, I'm still kind of struggling with, you know, with my food plan and stuff. But um, I really, really liked your um, what you had to say, your suggestion about the index card. That seems like that would make everything so much easier and more organized and everything. It would really help me. So I appreciate that. But the one question I have is, because I'm still sort of struggling with um, my food plan and stuff, and I might be mistaken of what you said, but I thought you said that that food really wasn't the problem, and I don't really understand that. Okay, thank you, Linda. That's a great question. Um, so if you go through the doctor's opinion, 
um, we're, you'll you'll learn you'll 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 understand that food isn't the problem. It's an allergy of the body. When we ingest certain foods, it triggers this phenomenon of craving, and we can't stop. You know, normal people can, um, you know, take a bite of something and or have a slice of something and be fine. But as a compulsive overeater, if we take a bite of that something, um, it, it just triggers something and we can't stop. So there's, there's something physically going on with us that doesn't go on with the normal eater. So, you know, here I thought that the, and so that's what I, when I say the food's the, the, I thought the food was the problem. It wasn't the problem. It's something going on physically with me. And then I get this mental obsession, which is in my head where I can't stop thinking about it. Normal people eat and they, and then they move on in life. They're not constantly thinking about where do I get more? How do I get more? So, um, and you know, struggling with a food plan, I mean, most everybody goes to a nutritionist and gets a food plan. And the main thing is to be honest about your food, honest about what Mm -hmm. triggers you. You know, you've got to get rid of all the things that trigger that phenomenon of craving where when you take a bite, you want more. You need to get rid of those. And, and then, you know, once you have a food plan and, and I, I, have um, a problem with quantity. So I need to weigh and measure my food. And, you know, if you can just get a food plan, um, I think weighing and measuring, if you're struggling, is the way to go. um, Because you know, there's a beginning and an end, and you know what it is. And if you can just Mm -hmm. kind of power through, you know, um, the first, you know, few days and get abstinent. And, um, and then, just I find that after 90 to 100 days, things become a habit. It gets a lot easier after a while. It's like, you know, I actually do really well um, being in my little box <laughs> of mm-hmm. knowing what my meals are, being able to prepare them. You know, um, when I go to parties, um, I can get a little wiggy. So I try to always eat my own food. I don't like really bringing my food because I feel awkward sometimes, but I'll do that if I need to. But I always try to, you know, just make sure I'm getting my food and I'm doing it myself. And I'm not trying to, you know, work around someone else's food. Um, but, you know, once it becomes a habit, it gets really comfortable. And it's like, I am not happy if I can't have, um, you know, if I can't get the food that I need to get, we went, we were in Canada for a few weeks and I was having a really hard time getting the food I needed. And it was making me crazy. I couldn't, it's like, I got home and went, Oh, thank God I'm home. You know, I've got what I need. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you know, you really need to power through and then, and then, you know, once you've got some accidents under your belt, you've got to go through these steps. And, you know, you mentioned the index cards, just kind of keep that in the back of your head, but don't worry about step nine because you really need to start at step one and, and, you know, move through all those. So, um, yeah, but you've got to get abstinent first. And, you know, I find that um, weighing and measuring, um, writing my food down and committing my food to someone um, is very, very helpful with that. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Linda B. Thank you, Linda B, for that wonderful question. Sharon C., your turn. Okay, thank you, Leah, and thank you, Kathleen, for your service. Um, I just have a quick question, I think. Uh, 
I just find it difficult to remember others uh, that I might have to make amends to or need to beside my daughter, my husband, and my son who is no longer alive. Um, I don't know if that's a normal question. Um, The only other thing that I could possibly squeeze out of my brain is um, it's not really a resentment. It's um, my my son, my daughter-in-law, no, excuse me, my... um, sister-in-law we never see each other and we don't have much of a relationship never have in 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 30 40 years but that's the way she wants it so i don't know if that's i have nothing to make amends for in that but it's it kind of bothers me that we don't have the relationship um i don't know if that makes sense uh um so sharon i think well, you, you mentioned um, it's difficult to remember um, yeah. maybe all the people. Yeah. And and what I did was I just went, when I started writing out my resentments, I went back to my earliest memory as a child. And then I would like move through kindergarten and try to remember what I knew in kindergarten. A lot of teachers were on my, my list. Um, and it, And they weren't teachers that I needed to make amends to. They were just, you know, resentments. Um, and I just went all through school. I went through all my friends. Um, I just tried to, you know, remember all parts of my life. And that brought up remembering a lot of things. Um, as far as your sister-in-law, if you don't need to make amends to her, then you don't need to make amends to her, but not feeling good that you don't have that relationship that you'd like. I mean, you know, there's things you could do, um, send her a card, say, I'm thinking of you, um, you know, pray for her and just kind of let your higher power direct you of if, if you really want to see her again, just put that out there. Um, you might end up seeing her again and, you know, and, and maybe, maybe write down, do some writing of what you would say to her if you did see her. Um, you know, even if it's, I'd like to have a relationship with you again and I'm sorry we don't have one. I don't know if that helps, but. Oh, yes. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, very much. This has been wonderful. I'm really grateful I was able to be on the line this morning. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Sharon, for the question. That's Sharon C. And who else has a question for Kathleen? Nancy H. Nancy H. Anita L. Anita L. Dana W. Bonnie T. Dana W. Who was after Dana? Bonnie T. Bonnie T. Kathy Jo P. Kathy Jo. All right, that's a good group. Nancy H. Go right ahead. Okay, I've forgotten the speaker's name already. Sharon Kathleen O. Kathleen O. Hi, Kathleen. I'm Nancy. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. And I have been through the steps before, and I made my eight-step list. And I had people on it that I might have judged, but they didn't know it. And I was wondering if you made amends for that type of people directly to them or not. Um, you know, no. If I judged people, and but I didn't, if I just, if I judged them in my head, 
Mm-hmm. No, I didn't make amends. I didn't make amends to them um, because they didn't know I judged them in my head, and I wasn't about to tell them because that I think would make the relationship worse. Um, um, you know, I I still continue to judge people in my head, and I just ask my higher power to give me um, to help me be kind and loving towards people and not judge them. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, the more I ask for that, the better I get at that because I think it's really important not to. Now, if I – one of the things that I, um, that I did was if I judged people and gossiped about them to someone, I would, I, w- I would make amends to the person I gossiped to about them because gossiping is poisoning the person you're talking to to someone else. And when I realized that, I stopped gossiping. Um, because it's just it's just not right, and um, you know it, it, it's kind of like taking the bite. It feels good at the moment, but then it feels terrible. And um, so yeah, if I if I verbally talk to someone else, you know, about judging somebody else, then I would apologize to the person that I that I was gossiping with and talking about, but not the person that I judged because they didn't know I did it. Okay. So thanks for the Thank question, you. Nancy. That was very helpful. Thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks, Nancy H. Anita L. Good morning, Kathleen. Hi, this is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. Um, I don't think that you talked about this, the importance of forgiveness before making an amend. Um I'm thinking in my mind about this one particular cousin uh, on my husband's side who I did make amends a couple times over the years, but I still needed to constantly make an amend to her. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, that's why uh, a very serious thing happened a year ago. And I finally did make an amend to her um, and I prayed for her, and you know, every day I did that resentment prayer for her every day and her daughter. And um, finally, somebody at a meeting shared, you know, I gave that person too much power, and that was what hit me that all these years, 30 years, I had given this woman too much power. So it really was my fault for everything um, because she was just acting the way she normally would act. But I resented that, you know, whatever. But for future amends, could you talk a little bit about the forgiveness process for you before you go to make that amend? Because obviously it never worked in the past for me with this one particular person. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Anita. Um, So my ex-husband's ex-wife, I had a lot of issues with her. And before ever getting to the point of making amends with her, I actually had to, she was one of the people that I had to pray for daily, um, pray that she had everything she wanted in life, that she had a good life, um, that she was blessed with, you know, with health and happiness and right. prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, I, I, I mean, 
I didn't want to do it, but I prayed for her. And that's, that's always one of the hardest things when I feel like harms have been done to me. Um, and, you know, really I did more harm to her than she did to me. She really didn't do any harm to me, but I just, I just had so many issues with her. And um, so I did. I prayed for her for, gosh, I don't know. She's still in my prayers. I, not, right. not to be forgiven because I, I don't feel like I need to be forgiven um, by her for anything. But um, she, every day in my prayers, when I, I go through this list of people that I just ask my higher power to send blessings to, and she's one of them. And she'll probably be in there till the day I die. Right. Um, right. And, but I did that for a long time before I was actually able to get to the point where it's like, you know what, I can't blame her for anything. I, I need to make, make amends for my part in this. And um, so, yeah, all we can do is, is ask for forgiveness. And, you know, what that person does with it is out of our, out of our hands at that point. Um, you know, some will be okay with it and some will. And, you know, you talked about giving someone power. I don't know that we can give people power. Um, you know, we can only, we can only be kind and loving and, 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 you know, make amends for our part in things. And if, I don't know, <laughs> and just let it go, you know, give it to God. Right. And I don't know if that helps, but... <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, and I appreciate your share today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Anita L. Dana W., star one to unmute. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Kathleen, as well, for your service. Um, I Part of my question was answered by the previous uh, two shares. Um, so, um, the question is, first of all, let me say, I can get into resentfulness and bitterness, so, um, the forgiveness part really spoke to me, um, but what do you, what, um, do you do if there's someone that has been, like, deceptive and caused a lot of trouble in your life, but you, you know that you reacted wrong and you want to take credit for I want okay this is all about me what what do I do um to um just make an amends to someone that is a family member that I dearly love um who um has not really uh been stoic either I just uh make an amends for my reaction to her behavior um, and how do I do that without sounding um, like I'm trying to be all superior? Um, and I, I hope I hope you understand my question. I know I'm a little here and there with it. Um, thank you. Um, sure, Dana. Yes, you know I I struggle I struggle with that with my husband. Um, you know he. I would love it if he was in 12-step recovery, but he's not. Um, but, yeah, when, you, when we have a family member that we love, but, um, you know, they might be pushing our buttons and, um, and doing, doing what they do that makes us a little crazy. And, and you know, and, and when, I ha- when I react instead of respond, um, I, I, sometimes it takes me a while because it's like I can see – I think, oh my God, you know, 
what they did was so wrong. Um, but if my reaction to that was wrong, I need to apologize for my part in it. And it really is about, it's like, okay, you know, God, help me remove this, this resentment. Um, you know, if my husband did or said something that was offensive to me, it's like, you know, I'm resentful at my husband. Um, this is what it affects. And, you know, and then I say the resentment prayer at the end, you know, after I figure out what my part was, it was in it, if I didn't respond loving and kindly. Um, and, and I'll just, you know, it's, it's about coming from love. It's like, we do have to forgive, forgive first and, and ask God to remove the resentment and, and, and make amends if we need to. It's like, um, you know, I'll say to my husband, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, I responded the way I responded, you know, I want to be loving and I let it go. Um, so all we can do is, you know, make amends for our part, apologize um, for our part and really try to come from love and kindness. Um, and, and that's where that pause is so important because if someone is being, like you said, deceptive or causing trouble, um, you know, you can just pray for that person and just take a pause and say, you know, okay, God, I'm putting this person in your hands. I can't control this person. Um, I'm not giving this person any advice because they're not asking for it. And, and just try to be loving and kind if that's a person that's part of your life and you can't, you know, I've had people in my life who um, have caused trouble um, but I'm not related to them and I don't need to have them in my life. So I'll just, you know, remove myself and be happy that I'm not, I'm not related to them <laughs> um, and pray for them. You know, all we can do is pray for them. So I hope that answers your question, Dana. Oh, it did. You're so helpful. Thank you so very much. It's just what I needed to hear and, and what I need to do. Thank you so You're much. welcome. Thanks, Dana. Thank you, Dana W. Bonnie T. Good morning. May I be heard? You can. Okay. Thanks, Leah, for your service. And Kathleen, thank you for your uh, wonderful uh, talk this morning. My question is, is do you have any experience or anyone on your amend list where you really had to consider when to do so would injure them or others? And how did you handle that? Um. I'm trying, I'm sure there were, um, and you know, I, I can't remember anything offhand. Um, I wish I could give you an example, but I can't think of anything, but I'm sure there were. And, and basically when there is something where you're going to injure them or others, um, it's, it's important to, that's, that's where a sponsor comes in really helpful because they're going to help you determine, um, you know, whether you should, whether you should just let that go or whether you do need to make an amends. But yeah, if it's going to injure them, like, like if there's a, an affair or something, I, I, you know, if I had been, um, um, if I had, if I had had an affair and my husband didn't know about it, I would not, I would not tell them because I think that that would injure them. And, and again, this is maybe a, um, and I, I didn't have, I didn't do that. So thank God. Um, but, you know, I think that's kind of a, a one-on-one -on -one thing and that's where a sponsor comes in really, really handy because um, they've had a lot of experience and they'll be able to take, you know, step back and say, 
you know, yeah, this would injure someone. You need to not do that. Right. So, and, and, you know, okay. and that's where I'm, living, that's, that's where living amends come in really well too. You can, you know, right. not, not repeat the behavior. Right. Okay. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Bonnie T. Kathy Joe P., your turn. Hello. My question is, do you sometimes struggle with making any of your 10-step amends, like using the word difficult for them, whether it's timing or, yeah, I leave it at that. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kathy Joe. Um, yeah, I do struggle sometimes with making my 10-step amends. Um, particularly around my husband. Um, and sometimes <laughs> I always try to do it right away. And sometimes I don't. And because it is difficult, it's like, I, you know, if I feel like I've been wronged, um, then yes, the answer is yes, I do struggle sometimes. And but the timing, for me, the timing is the best when I do it quickly, when I follow the big book and make them at once. Um, it's not so difficult when I follow the directions and just do it. And, and I am learning, uh, you know, my husband's kind of going through this grouchy old man stage, I think. Um, <laughs> but I'm learning to just be quiet and bless him, change me so that I don't need to make amends. I mean, I find myself frequently taking that pause and, and, and the answer I get is just keep your mouth shut. And if I keep my mouth shut, I don't have to make amends. <laughs> so sometimes I take the easy way out and just don't, you know, keep my mouth shut. Um, but, you know, really trying to be loving and kind and tolerant and patient. Um, I think my husband is in my life right now so I can learn all those things. Um, so thank you, Kathy Jo. Thanks, Kathy Joe P. Who else has a question for Kathleen O? This will be the final invitation for questions this morning. Star one to unmute. Bonnie G. Bonnie G. Toby W. Toby W. Lori. I didn't catch the last name. I'm sorry. Katie S. Katie S. Cynthia C. Cynthia C. Laura H. Laura H. Anyone else? Final invitation for questions this morning. All right. Bonnie G. Am I still un still unmuted? You are unmuted. Okay. Hi. Thank you so much, Kathleen, for your share. My question is about living amends. I've had uh, a sponsee who only wanted to make living amends, and you know, that, that was a tough one. I, I just could not continue with that. How do you deal with uh, living amends? Thanks, Bonnie. You know, that's a great question because I've seen a lot of people, and I've had sponsees too, that want to cop out. I call it copping out <laughs> by wanting to make a living amends. And, um, you know, we really do have to have some courage and humble ourselves because making amends, if, it's, if what we need to do is make 
an amends to the person. That's what we need to do. Um, living amends, we're not going to get the recovery by just making the living amends when we actually owe that person a sincere apology. So, um, you know, I would, I would encourage, if you feel like the sponsee should actually be making an amends to that person, have them, have them, you know, write out what they would say, even though they don't want to say it, and ask them if they'd be willing to be willing. And, um, and they really need to sincerely be willing to be willing. Because if we want recovery, you know, we have to go through this process. And it's not always easy. Believe me, it's not always easy. But I do feel like if we have a strong connection with our higher power and we walk hand in hand with our higher power, miraculous things are going to change, are, are going to happen, and it's just going to, you know, blow people away. So, um, you know, let her know that that what she's going to get from actually making an amends um, is, is just going to be amazing. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Bonnie G. Toby W., your turn. Thank you. Um, thank you, Kathleen, and thank you, Leah. This is Toby, food addict. I am going through the steps again, and I'm nowhere near uh, the ninth step. But in the past, I had, uh, my behavior had harmed the person that, um, that was directly resulted in to a, to a particular person in the family. And my behavior affected other members of my family. And at the time, when I went through the steps before, my then sponsor suggested that I make amends to those members of the family that were affected as a result of my behavior toward this one member. And years later, I uh, was talking about it, and one person told me that they didn't think that I needed to make amends to other people, just to the person. And I was wondering, Kathleen, if you have any comments or on if you had the experience or any comments on uh, what do you do if your behavior affected other people besides the person directly? Thanks, Toby. Um, you know, I, it, it really is about um, being honest and humbling ourselves. So if I felt like I owed, you know, several people an amends um, for what I had said or done, I needed to make those amends. And if one person told me that they didn't think I needed to make amends to everybody, um, that's their opinion. And everyone's entitled to their opinion. But it doesn't mean it's fact. And if I know in my heart and I've discussed with my sponsor that it's important for me to make amends to everybody, then that's what I'm going to do. Um, you know, <laughs> sometimes me, we might, I, th I think sometimes, um, and I've, I've been in that position where someone will say, oh, you don't need to do that. It's like, no, I do need to do that. <laughs> and it's really tempting. It's really tempting to just go, oh, yeah, I like what they say. That's what I'm going to do. But, you know, we, we, it's, it's really about being honest about what, what do we really need to do and then doing it. On that same uh, level, when I made amends to members, other members of the family, one person said, I'm sorry, I don't forgive you. Have you ever had that experience? And what do you do with that? 
Um, gosh, I, I have not had that experience. Um, and just be sure when you're making the amends that you're not saying anything that they did wrong. Um, because sometimes that will put people on the defense. But if, if you're, if you're really sincere and loving and, and, you know, genuine in just saying your part and apologizing for your part, and they say they don't forgive you, um, you know, say, well, you know, I mean, they're entitled not to forgive you. Um, but I would just continue to make, um, you know, when you see that person, just be kind and loving towards them. And, you know, maybe someday they will forgive you. Um, that's kind of a, one of those things that, you know, we just, when we don't have, we don't have control of, over other people or how they're going to react. So if we just do our best and give the rest up to God and just pray for that person, you know, that someday they'll forgive you. Thank you. I pass. Thanks, Toby W. Katie S., your turn. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, very well. Thank you very much. Appreciate um, this meeting very much. So I am also not in, an, um, in, in the step work where, I can, where I'm prepared to make my amends and I'm not there. But I did once work with a sponsor who talked with me about um, the ways in which we make an amends in order to open it up for the other person who we're making amends to to uh, have an opportunity to respond to the amends. And um, I'll give you an example. Um, if I were making an amends to, let's say, my husband, um, I might say something like, um, my behavior was selfish and rude and I apologize, followed by, what can I do to make it right? And that what can I do to make it right part, um, is, I guess it's just something, Kathleen, if you can talk about it, is that something that you incorporate into your amends? The other thing I can remember that this particular sponsor shared with me is that it, the amends is very brief. It's not a story. It's not a conversation. It's not going into detail. It's simply um, using adjectives to describe my behavior, naming naming the what I'm making amends for, using adjectives to describe my behavior, and then ending with what can I do to make it right. Is that something that you do, and what do you think of that? And it passed. Thank you, Katie. No, that's great. Um, that's why they're on index cards, <laughs> because you're right. It is brief. It's not like we're going into this long dissertation or trying to justify or explain. When we take all the justification and explaining out and, you know, we don't allow ourselves to deflect the blame or make it any kind of excuses, if we're just being sincere and addressing the mistake, so that they can understand that what we did was wrong. Um, that's all we need to do. And so it is very brief. Um, and, and I do always at the, at the end, I say, you know, is there anything else that, that I did, um, you know, that um, you need to tell me about that's bothering you? Or, so I always give the person that opportunity. And, and yes, I think, you know, saying, um, how can I make it right if, um, you know, the the last um, person, Toby, when um, she said the person said, I don't forgive you, that would be a good time to say that. Is there anything I can do to make it right? Um, so, yeah, that, that's all great stuff. Um, but, yes, it should be brief. It doesn't – It's if it's not, we're probably going into 
trying to justify and talking about what the other person did wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Katie S. Cynthia C. Star one to unmute Cynthia C. May I be heard? This is Cynthia? Yes. Great, thank you. Um, thank you so much for everybody's service and putting the meeting together. Um, and thank you, Kathleen, for your share. It was really, it's really great. Thank you, very helpful. Um, my question is about the fear. Um, I'm still, you know, I've done the, I, I've done the most important of my amends, and I'm still working on other amends um, that will just take a little longer. Um, but we we had something sort of, I had something very traumatic happen in the middle of a very intense month. Um, and I find during this past week since this traumatic event happened that I keep taking my fear back. Like I, I keep, you know, I keep doing a fear turnaround and I let it go for a moment and I keep pulling it back. I keep taking back that control and that fear. I just don't know if you can speak on, on any of that. Like have that, has that happened to you? Um, have you found a way to deal with it? Um, I, I just, yeah, I just, on how not to keep taking back my you know, for me, really working and not trying to keep being the director. That, does that my question make sense? Is it something you can address? Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, fears, fears. I have fears that um, that come up, and you know, I'll say the fear prayer. I'll give it over to my higher power, um, and. A lot of times the fear does fall from us. Um, I think there's something on page. I think it's somewhere in 75 about fear. Um, on into action. And I can't find it. But, um, you know, there's there's all sorts of... of um, of information about fear in the big book. And, and I do find sometimes that, that um, if I just keep, you know, when it comes up, I just go through the whole process again. And I find that when I do that, that fear will, will stay away for a while. And then sometimes when it comes up, I can get rid of it really quickly. I just turn it, I'll just say, you know, God, please take this fear and help me be useful. You know, be living in fear does us absolutely no good because we, we can't control anything and, you know, and we don't know what the path is of, of other people. Um, you know, fear comes up a lot about around, you know, loved ones and, um, but it's really just, just turning it over to our higher power and saying, you know, I, I can't control, I don't know what anyone's path is. Um, and I need to let, you know, I need to turn this fear over and I need to be useful and how can I be useful? And, and I find when I'm, when I'm doing service, when I'm, um, you know, prayer meditation, um, the fear doesn't come up as much. It just doesn't come up as much. And, and, you know, when it is, I, I, um, I do what I need to do. And I, I, I say that fear prayer, which I don't know where that is right now, but, um, anyway, I hope that helps Cynthia. Thank you very much, Cynthia, for the question. Our final question this morning comes from Laura H. 
Hi, thanks for your service. This is Laura H. from upstate New York. Um, I wonder if you can speak a little bit to um, people who were abused in childhood. Uh, Because of my own history, um, I've been blessed with a lot of sponsees that have that same issue. And um, it can become very tricky when you get to the ninth step um, because... Basically, a lot of the time, um, the people that are on your four-step resentment list are the people who've harmed you in your childhood. And it gets tricky with um, how to make amends to somebody who harmed you in your childhood when you did absolutely nothing to them. So um, my own process working with my sponsor has been very helpful. But a lot of times I find with sponsees, um, it's not the same. So I wonder if you've experienced this um, as a sponsor and if you can speak to it. Thank you very much. Thanks for the question, Laura. Um, You know, I have not experienced that as a sponsor, um, nor have I experienced any physical abuse in my childhood. Um, But... There, someone did a really good special edition on that where they addressed that and talked about, and I can't remember who it is, but I'll find out um, <clears throat> if you want to call me and give me your phone number um, so you can listen to it. Um, but, but she addressed that excellently. I mean, it's, it's, I thought this is a great place for people to go who, who need to, you know, be for, it's, it's more about forgiving the person who abused you because there's no amends for you to make but it's about forgiving that person so you can move on and not hold on to that the rest of your life because, you know, holding on to, on to that can really ruin the rest of your life. And, you know, life is, is not that long. Um, as you learn, the older we get, for me, the older I get, the realize that, you know, it goes really quickly. So, um, you know, to hold on to those kind of things is only harming ourselves. And, um, and I'll try to um, find out who that was that spoke and give that to you if, if you get in touch with me, Laura. So thank you. I'm sorry, could I get your number then, please? I didn't get it previously. We are going to get Kathleen's contact information at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that, Laura. It will be momentarily, okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. Of course, thank you to our speaker, Kathleen O., for offering so much of your experience to all of us this morning. It was so very helpful uh, this morning, particularly Step 9. Thank you for your generous spirit. We're going to close now from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. 
We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.